Acts chapter 3 is where we are this morning. We are studying through the book of Acts, and um, we figured it was written in about 60 to 62 AD by Luke. Luke was a, a Gentile believer. Now, if that term doesn't resonate, uh, the, the church started among Jewish believers primarily, and non-Jewish people were called Gentiles. That's, that's what we are, unless you have a Jewish background. And, but Luke was one of those. But he came to believe in Jesus, and then began to put together a history of Jesus' life called the Gospel of Luke to Theophilus. Theophilus, we're not sure who that is. Scholars differ on who it might be. Some think a Roman official. Some think a friend of Luke's. But both books start the same. My friend, my dear Theophilus, I have attempted to put this together, both the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. And so if you were to sit down and read the Gospel of Luke, and then start reading the book of Acts, you'll see where they fit very nicely together. Not meant to be one book, meant to be two, but yet have a theme and a seamless transition from one to the other. So we're not going to go back and read the book of Luke, but if you want to do that on your own to get a little bit bigger picture and a little bit more of a flow of what Luke is trying to say, uh, I would encourage you to do that, as well as continue to try to read through the book of Acts. During these series, I encourage you to read through the books just to get a an overview, let it kind of sink in a little bit more as we go along. But we're in Acts chapter 3 this morning, and we're going to be looking at a man whose life was drastically changed physically. We trust that spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all those changes took place, but we just get a glimpse of this person, and then he's out of the pages of Scripture, and we're on to other things. But I think we would all agree that all of us love a good story, now, sometimes stories are just stories' sake. You know, when my kids were little, I enjoyed telling them stories in bed, and I'd make up silly little things. And why did I do that? Because my, did that, my dad did that to me, and I think my grandfather did that to my dad, so it was just kind of part of our family culture. But stories are, are powerful. They're moving. They're, they're, in a sense, we call them maybe in church personal testimonies, and that's kind of a Christianese term that we throw around. It really comes down to everybody has a story, those who know Christ and those who don't know Christ. And that story reflects a journey, obviously starting with birth and then childhood and so on and so forth until you get to uh, adulthood at some point, and you look back and say, hmm, you know, either how did I get here or, wow, God has been so faithful and brought me to this point. So we're going to be looking at a man's story this morning, but I want us to learn from that, and I want us to think about our own stories. Last week I introduced the four-chair discipling, and this is something we'll be using throughout this series as well as a training that's coming up next Saturday. I'll talk about that a little bit more. But we identified chair number one as the chair, just come. Just come and, come and see like a fifth quarter. Come and see what the church is all about. Come and see in a, next month for a kitty college back to school night where we're going to feed you hot dogs and chips and really good stuff. But we're going to provide a place for you as a family to have fun because it's okay for the church to have fun. And in that context, to love on people and to say, we'd love to have you join us in worship sometime. At least half of those families consistently have no church connection. So there's a gold mine of opportunity. Just, just come. Come and have a seat. Now, we want them to hear. We want them to hear about Jesus. And at some point, then, we want them to follow. To follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. To begin that journey, which becomes part of their story. 
And so we pray for people. And we're going to be praying for people later in the service. So I want you to be thinking of people that you know that would fit this chair, that don't know Jesus. You're, you're sure of that. And if they were to come to our church, if you were to invite them, and I trust that you are, they would sit in a chair, sit, well, a pew, but symbolically a chair like this, just come. And then you'll hear, you'll hear us sing about Jesus. You'll hear God's word, maybe for the first time, explained. And it's like, wow, I had no idea. I thought it was just, I don't know, you know, hokey pokey stuff in the Bible. And then we want them to follow Jesus, but not stay here. We don't want them to stay as spiritual infants. That's not God's will. But anyone who starts in this chair as a follower of Christ, then eventually matures and grows to the chairs that we call the go chairs. Go and become a fisher of men. Begin to invite people to go to the come chair, right? Because your story changes. Jesus interrupts your life and says, now you have a new life in me. And I'm going to begin to write a whole new story in your life. And I want you to go out and fish for people. And I want you to live an invitational lifestyle so they'll come and sit in that chair at some point and hear, just as you did. Become a fisher of men, but then go and bear fruit. It's called the, the theory or the principle of the second generation. In other words, we want to produce spiritual children as we become fisher of men, but we want those spiritual children to produce spiritual children. And that's one of the marks of maturing in our faith, that we are reproducing ourselves in the lives of other people. That's the goal, to get to this chair in our maturing process. Now, we'll be talking about that Saturday. I just gave you kind of a five-minute overview. It can be several hours of learning and, and talking together and praying together, led by Art and Becky Melly next Saturday at 9.30 to 2. $10 will get you in the door. Well, no, $10 will get you out the door because then you... We'll have materials, you'll have a great lunch, but also training on what it means to come, follow, and go. So I want to encourage you. There's a folder in your bulletin there. It gives you a little more details. We need to know by Wednesday so we know how much food to plan. We've got materials coming. We uh, ordered uh, enough materials to cover what we believe is coming at this point, and so uh, encourage you to come. Come and hear and grow and learn together. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 26, a story is great. Catches, it catches people's attention, get them thinking about their own life a little bit. And as believers in Christ, and we invite people to come and hear about Jesus. Let's pray and ask God to teach us by his spirit this morning. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. And just as we were reminded a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 1, that when the Holy Spirit comes... He'll give us power. His presence in our life empowers us, guides us, helps us, prays for us to be witnesses. To be witnesses in Jerusalem, in our hometown, in Judea, in places beyond our hometown, but still pretty familiar. In Samaria, to be in uncomfortable places and yet still bear witness, still live that story out and to the ends of the world. Lord, most of us have never been to those ends of the world from our perspective, but we have heard stories of those. We've sent people there, and some have had the privilege of going and serving and realizing you are alive and well all over this world, working and willing for your good pleasure and inviting people to come, to come and to follow Jesus, to start a brand new life, start a brand new story, and then go and learn to be fishers of men and 
learn to bear fruit. Lord, help us as a church family to continue to learn to do that. If we hadn't done that, we wouldn't have been here a hundred years. But Lord, we want to be here another hundred years, not because of how good we are, but because what a great and wonderful God you are. And we want to model ourselves after Jesus who modeled this ministry. And so help us to train, help us to pray, help us to learn, help us as followers of Jesus to continue to reach out to those who do not know and to invite them to follow Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that privilege. Thank you for hearing our prayers and always answering faithfully according to your will. Teach us now as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's essentially two things that we want to look at in chapter 3 and what beautiful evidence provides. A a story is a thing of beauty. It's the work of God in a person's life. And if you know Jesus, you have a story. And it's a beautiful one. You may say, well, nothing like what we're going to read about. Well, maybe not. But that's okay. God doesn't do the same thing in every person's life. He tailor makes it just for you because he knows the family you were born into. He knows the job you had. He knows all of the ups and downs, the pains and the different things that you've experienced in life. And he's still at work and he's still writing your story. And that story will connect with someone because... He may be preparing that someone right now to hear your story at some point or someone else's story. We don't, we don't know. It, it, studies have been done and it takes approximately 5.6 Christians for someone to know and to uh, be acquainted with, at least to have a relationship for them to consider following Jesus. Now, I'd like to know who that 0.6 is. I've never met that person, but maybe it's me. I don't know. I forgot my notes in my office. What's going on? The point being, it takes a team effort to see people go from chair one to chair two. So be encouraged. It doesn't all fall on your shoulders, but every one of us is responsible, and everybody's a starter on God's team if you know Jesus. And if you don't, man, what a great day to go from chair one to two. Maybe you've been coming to our church for a while, and you have a church background. You know a lot of the answers. You know a lot of the ups and downs, when to stand, when to sit, when you hope we get done by 12, all that kind of stuff. But by faith, you've never gone from chair one to two. You can do that today. Just simply by saying, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I, I realize I need you as Lord and Savior. It's a simple relational exchange, if you will. Turning from self-righteousness and turning to the righteousness of Jesus and trusting in him and sitting in that just as you would sit in this chair. He can, he can hold you up, I guarantee you. You can do that today. Acts chapter 3 The first part of this beautiful evidence shows us that it is a story of relationships. A story of relationships. We have certainly heard that word many, many times. It all comes down to relationships. The gospel travels best when it travels through relationships. Somebody led you to Jesus. I doubt that anyone here accepted Christ completely on their own with no influence from any other human on earth. That would be next to impossible. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody encouraged you. Somebody invited you to come to Sunday school or to Awana or brought you as a child so you could hear and respond to that message. It's all about relationships. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day, this is sometime after the church was born. We're not given a time frame. But one day, Peter and John, leaders of the church, who were going and bearing fruit as Jesus had taught them to do, were going up to the temple. 
the Jewish temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. After the birth of the church in chapter 2, verse 41 to be specific, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus had ascended during that time of of, uh, being with the disciples, uh, during that time of telling them to wait, to pray, to wait upon him, to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait. He would send the comforter, the advocate that he talked about in the book of John, and then that Holy Spirit came, that third person of the Trinity, He filled them, he empowered them, he used them to begin that church movement that we're a part of today. Now, remember that most of the people in the church were Jewish background. People are people, are are creatures of habit. We all are to a certain degree. And so it was their habit, probably as long as they can remember, to go to the temple three times a day, 9 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock at noon, and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, assuming they were in the area. Now, if they were way out other parts of Israel, they may have done something similar. I'm not sure. But if you're in Jerusalem, that's what you do, because that was the habit. And so, you know, it's easy for us to look and go, well, why are they doing that? Man, that's not, you know, we're not under the law anymore. Well, if you were them and I was them, we probably would too, because that's all they knew. Now, they were praying in the name of Jesus. They were gathering as believers, and I'm sure they would assemble there. As we saw in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, they would assemble in those courts and then meet in homes because that's what they were used to. So in that setting then, Peter and John come across this beggar, a common experience of that day. There were beggars then, there's beggars now, there will always be beggars, people who are down on their luck or have chosen to be that way or whatever their story might be. The point being that person was there. And it was a common sight and one that they were used to seeing and one that up to this point, at least as recorded in the scriptures, was very impersonal. It was just a person, almost an object. And if you were a good Jew, you'd put a little something in their, whatever their container was, an alm. An alm could have been money or could have been some kind of a product that could help them. The point being, you just gave it and you went on. You didn't take the time to talk to them. You didn't talk to beggars. But Peter and John did. One scholar says this, Almsgiving was an impersonal act as the giver simply dropped a coin into the hands of a person, if that's all they had, who was already looking for the next person to ask for help. So there's no relationship. It's just, you know, alms please, alms please, just 
Bodies walking by, money dropping down, that's the only connection there was. The man probably simply called out for alms without paying attention to whom he was talking to. In contrast, Peter and John broke through his routine by insisting that he pay attention to them. You see, instead of passing him by, instead of just you know, going along with what everybody did, so to speak, the routine or whatever their habits were, they engaged him in conversation. They struck up a beginning of a relationship with this person. God chose to use that occasion to use Peter and John in a miraculous healing of the man's condition. They were near what was called the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate, scholars believe, was probably on the east side of the temple near Solomon's colonnade, which we'll be looking at a whole series of columns on the eastern part of the temple. A lot of the Jewish or a lot of the believers at that time as the early church began to grow gathered there. It was just a common place for them to gather as we saw in chapter 2. They also gathered in their homes for more intimate settings. We would call them small groups today or life groups, a kind of a similar setting, praying together, studying God's word, probably talking about people like this man or others saying, wow, did you hear about that healing? That's amazing. We need to pray for so-and-so. He needs... Jesus too, and, and they began to talk about who can they invite, who can they reach that's in this chair so that they can hear about Jesus and move from here and begin to follow him. That was part of their conversation, part of their prayer request, part of the burden that God had given them on their hearts, and he gave them the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to carry that out as God's mission began to move from Jerusalem and beyond. And see, the point being for us, you know, you know, I read this story and I thought, isn't there a song that goes with that? You know, silver and gold have I none, blah, blah. I don't remember all the words and everything. I didn't grow up in a lot of the same Sunday school settings as some of you. And, you know, we were up north where you say Ammon and you root for the giants. We didn't sing, we didn't sing those songs up there. The point being, though, it was, a, it was a familiar passage. And I thought, you know, we can just read through these things and maybe miss the point. I, ha- I have for years. I've been reading my Bible for years, like many of you. But here's the point that I missed. They started a relationship with this person. Now, I'm not suggesting we all go to Bakersfield and find homeless people. That's a huge issue right now all over our nation, but particularly in Bakersfield and Los Angeles, San Francisco. Boy, that's something we really need to pray about and think, man, you know, how do you deal with that? Anyway, that's a side issue. The point being, there are people all around us, like the beggar, who may be totally physically strong. Nothing apparently is wrong with them, but on the inside, if they're in this chair, they're lost, the Bible would say. They're dead spiritually. And the only way for them to move from this chair to this chair is through faith in Jesus Christ. And the only way they're probably going to hear about it may be through you or me. That's how God works. That's how he worked in your life and my life. I didn't just pick up a booklet someday and start reading it and come to Jesus. I was invited by a friend who was talked to by my mom who had been praying for me like crazy. And I went so I could sit in this chair and I could hear. And your story is very similar or you wouldn't be here today. You see, God does his best work through relationships. And he chose to use Peter and John who were before Jesus, probably walked through that temple many times. 
right past the beggars, dropping the coins in, not caring about that person, just wanting to get on with life. How easily we can fall into that too as followers of Jesus. Let's just get on with life. Let's, I got more important things to do than worry about people who are sitting in this chair. And yet the heart of God is for people just like this. And he wants us to have that kind of heart. He wants to burden us. He wants to open our eyes and to open our ears so that we hear and see people all around us that are in that chair. Because one day that was you. All of us start off dead spiritually. Not one of us is alive. But because somebody loved Jesus and loved you, they helped you go from here to here. And hopefully you're heading that way too. The question for all of us is who do you encounter or who do you know that you're pretty sure doesn't know Jesus? Think about that for a minute. But I want you to do more than think about it. I want you to write some names down. So everybody should have a bulletin outline, right? If you've got a bulletin coming in. If not, we've got ushers that have some they can hand out. So on your bulletin outline, I'm going to ask you to write some name, eight, at least one or more names down. Go ahead and just do it right now. It doesn't bother me. I left my notes in my office. You think that bothers me? And, and I want you to think about how might the Lord be leading you to engage them in a relationship. Now, maybe it's someone you already know. It might be a coworker, a friend at school, someone in your neighborhood, maybe someone in your own home. I don't know. But think about how God has placed them in your life and you in their life and how he may want to use you and engage them in a relationship. And as you're writing those names down, think about that. But we're going to do more than just think. We're going to take a moment here and we're going to pray about that. I'm going to be using a guide to guide you through this and you can pray quietly or with others around you. That, that is fine with me. A little card that we've used before, we've got some in the back on the credenza on this side or shelf, whatever we call that thing. It simply says, pray for unbelievers. I'm not, I never quite know how to put that. Unbelievers, non-believers, lost, you know. People who don't know Jesus. That's the point. People who are in chair number one. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just walk us through this. And I'm going to invite you to pray for those names that you have written down. And I sure hope you have some names written down. If not, you need to get out and meet some people. <laughs> because God wants to use you and us to fill chair number one up. So that they might move to chair number two and three and four. That's how the gospel spreads. That's how the church grows. Every church has to do that or they will not grow. We have to get people in chair number one and God uses us to do that. He's not going to move without us because that's how he chooses to do it. That's how he did it in the early church and we'll see case after case after case of using individuals or groups of people to meet the needs of others and to begin to draw them in so that they might hear the gospel. So let's pray together. I'm going to just kind of walk you through this. There's 11 points, so we're not going to take a whole lot of time, or I might as well just pray for lunch, and then we'll stay here. But uh, we do want to pray, because when we pray, God the Holy Spirit works as only He can. So let's pray together. 
Let me invite you to bow your heads and you can keep your eyes open if it helps you remember the names written down that I know you did. And then we're going to pray together. You can do it quietly or with others. That's fine. First thing we want to pray is that the Lord would draw these people to himself as only he can do. So let's pray that God would draw them to himself. Let's pray that as God draws them to himself, at the same time, they are seeking to know God. Something stuck in their mind, something maybe you said or someone else said, and they're beginning to wonder, is there a God and can I know this person? Let's pray that they seek to know God. Thirdly, let's pray that they believe the scriptures. The Bible is God's written word to us. All scripture is God breathed. It's powerful. It's God's word. Let's pray that they believe it, that they begin to seek it and want to learn more about God. Let's pray against Satan and the powers of darkness that would want to blind them from the truth, keep them from understanding, keep them from coming and hearing. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit works in them. We've already talked about that he convicts the world of sin righteousness and judgment that they would realize begin to understand their need for a savior let's pray that God said someone to lead them to Jesus and that someone might be you make yourself available to God to use as scary as that might be, simply to share your story so that they might hear. Let's believe that they, pray that they believe in Christ as Savior. They realize their need for a Savior. Let's pray that they repent and turn from sin. That sin might be self-righteousness. It might be religious activity. Things that they think are making them uh, acceptable to God. That they might turn from those things and realize faith in Christ is what they need the most. Let's pray that they confess Christ as Lord, both in their hearts and to others, that they would have the courage to say, yes, I believe in Jesus.
Let's pray that they yield all to follow Christ, that they don't hold anything back. We know it's a process, but to give their hearts completely over to Jesus. And finally, let's pray that they take root and grow in Jesus. Just as they would come and, in a sense, sit in chair number one and hear, and then believe that they might continue to grow so that they might become a fisher of people, that they might bear the fruit of generations of believers following them. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. It may seem like a simple thing, for some, maybe even a little odd or awkward. And yet you somehow use the prayers that we pray in the name of Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit to work. Lord, just now we've probably prayed for several hundred people. We want to see them come to know Jesus. We want to see them fill chair number one. We want to see them fill our pews and become followers of Christ, become fishers of men. Lord, would you use us to do that? Would you work in our hearts and minds, Lord, so that we would be willing and take the opportunity and perhaps a step of faith to build that relationship, not just pass them by, but build that relationship which could lead to the spreading of the gospel and the growth of your church. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things we learned over the summertime, and now that we have prayed that, now that you've written some names down, and as I have too, one of the phrases we learned was this, prayer without action is what? Vain repetition. Jesus says that's what pagans do, people who don't believe in God. We don't want to be that way. You see, God calls us to prayer, but he also calls us to action. And so as you have written some names down, God is saying, great, now let's take some action. Make that phone call. Make that stop. Talk to that person. Begin to build that relationship. Because this person may not be physically the same as this beggar, but inside their needs are just as great, if not greater. And he wants to use us as we take those steps of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit who came so many years ago and comes into every believer's life to seal them with his presence and his power so that the witness continues day after day after day and the church grows person by person by person. Come, follow, grow. And I realize there's always exceptions to maybe relational evangelism, but... I would guess 99.9% .9 of the people who come to Christ come to Christ through a friend, a relative, someone who knows them. Choice Books is a unique ministry. In fact, if you um, are interested in Choice Books, there's something in the bulletin about that. They have a lunch coming up a week from Tuesday, but you need to RSVP by tomorrow. So anyway, just a little heads up there. Choice Books is pretty neat. As we were traveling back to Colorado and, and as I came back this way from taking Katie out to school, uh, I would tend to stop at some of the truck stops along the way so that I could get the trucker's coffee. That's like high-octane stuff, man. Anyway, kept me going. And 
But uh, I would notice choice books, book stands in there. And uh, at this lunch, if you're able to go, they, there's always stories of people who are, you know, out driving, often truck drivers or people like that who are traveling. They come across these choice books and they pick it up and it just connects with them. But I would venture to say that every one of those people has someone that loves them and has been praying for them. And then God used this physical thing, in a sense, to finally help them take that step from chair one to chair two. So anyway, if you're interested in that, but those, those kind of stories are, are fascinating and it's a great ministry. Well, the first thing we learned is it's a story of relationships. God uses people to reach people to reach people to reach people. And that's why you're here. And that's why he wants to use us to reach the next generation, the next person, the next group of people. It's also a story of God's faithfulness in verses 11 through 26. And we'll read how Peter summarizes that for the gathered crowd that saw, oh my goodness, what's going on with this guy? Suddenly he's leaping and praising and, you know, singing a song from Sunday school. What happened? Starting in verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, which was on the east side of the temple, which makes scholars believe the beautiful gate was also on that side. There were actually nine gates around the outside called the Court of the Gentiles. If you weren't Jewish, you couldn't go in any farther. But if you were Jewish, you'd go through one of those nine gates, either into the court of the women or the court of the men. And if you have a map in the back of your Bible, some of that is detailed out there. So that was on the east side. When Peter saw this, this crowd that was gathering, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is by Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance. In other words, you didn't quite maybe understand the big picture of what was going on, as did your leaders who really understood what they were doing. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then. Turn around. I heard a great definition of repentance. Dr. Warren Wiersbe in his um, uh, commentary on the book of Acts quoted a little Sunday school go probably from back in the 1950s. Repentance is feeling bad enough that you quit. Isn't that great? Technically, it means to turn around and go the other direction, but I kind of like this one. You feel bad enough about something, you quit. That's repentance. All right. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then, because you feel bad, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, send him as Lord and Savior, and eventually send him again to set up his kingdom, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him as it did. He's ascended until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. 
You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these things, these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, the Jewish people, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Next week, we'll see the effects of that sermon in chapter 4. So as a crowd is gathering, as this miraculous healing takes place, Peter, you can imagine, is thinking, whoa, we got a crowd here. Time to preach. So he did. And we'll see the results of that in chapter 4. He's, he's recounting God's faithfulness to the people. God's faithfulness in spite of their ignorance, in spite of their rejection at the time. God kept coming back in love to care for them and care for them and care for them. Isaiah chapter 53 is a beautiful chapter on God's faithfulness, that prophetic word of who Jesus was and how he would come and how he would fulfill God's promises, written hundreds of years before he actually was born. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's Jesus. Jesus, the Savior, the Lord, the one who said he would send the Holy Spirit so that we might have the presence and power of God himself to bear witness. As Jesus, as believers in Jesus' day, built relationships with those who needed salvation. One of the best ways to share our story is to to rehearse God's faithfulness to us. And so again, I'm going to ask us all a question. 
How has the Lord been faithful to you and your family? Take a minute to maybe write some things down. Well, he provided for our needs as we did thus and such. He sustained us through some of the struggles we've had. He's brought us people into our lives. He's provided work to do. He's provided opportunities for us. Just God's faithfulness. How easy for us as people in a consumer culture to just expect the next thing and sometimes forget all of the things that God has done. But as we think about that and as we thank the Lord for his faithfulness, we ask him to use it in our own story. Think about God's faithfulness to you. Peter is reminding the people there of how faithful their God was in spite of them. And the same is true for us. God doesn't have to be faithful to us. We don't certainly earn it or deserve it. But he is because he is faithful, because he is loving, because he does hold to his promises. And so as by faith we trust him with our very lives. And here's what, here's what I had to come to in my life. You know, I think about it. At age 16, I was in this chair, right? You've heard it hundreds of times. Invited to a Bible study by a friend of mine who had been contacted by, by my mom who had been praying for me. And so by faith, I trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior and moved to this chair. I trusted my eternal destiny into Jesus' hands, just as you did, I trust, either many years ago, fairly recently, or maybe even today. Now, if we can do that, why is it so hard to trust him with our bank account, or our job, or our health, or our relationships, or our future? See what I'm saying? We've, anybody been to heaven here? I didn't think so. And yet we trust him to get us there, to move from this chair to this chair, but we're all worked up about tomorrow. <laughs> Me too. See what I'm saying? Isn't that ironic? Growing in faith is not just, I'm going to heaven someday. It's, I know Jesus now, man. And he walks with me every day. And as I go home later today, as I go to lunch, as I do my thing, he is there. And the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is a down payment guaranteeing what is yet to come. And in this journey of life that I'm on, he will never leave me nor forsake me because he is a faithful God. And that's part of our story. But boy, it's easy to forget, isn't it? It's easy to forget, especially in a culture like ours. I, I love our country, don't get me wrong. But one of the downsides of consumer mentality is we just want that next thing all the time. And we forget all that God has done. May we never forget that. May we make that part of our story, God's faithfulness. So how has the Lord been faithful to you and to your family? Write it down. Remember it. Make it part of your story as you take those steps of faith and obedience and build relationships with people who are in chair number one. The early church understood that the gospel travels best through relationships and that they were called and that they needed to be prepared to share the story of God's faithfulness when the opportunity comes as well as meet human needs. They, used, they met human needs in many different ways. Jesus answers the question of what's the most important thing in life, and he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, 
with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Keep that in perspective. Everything else will take the right perspective. What the material needs, comfort, all of the things that our culture says we need so badly and dearly, and that's what defines us and all that kind of stuff. Make sure number one is always number one, and the number twos and so forth will take care of themselves. But if we get this one wrong, we're going to be a mess. And we don't have a whole lot to share, because our story isn't much different than people in chair number one, is it? Worried about life, the next thing, the next thrill, the next purchase. Nothing wrong with those things. But if that's number one, it's all wrong. Jesus has to be number one all the time. And then he will use us in the ways he wants. First Peter chapter 3, Peter the preacher writes this later as he writes to the people scattered abroad. He says, but in your hearts, revere or set apart Christ as Lord always. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We're not getting in people's faces. We're trying to get in their hearts. And that takes love and kindness and gentleness and respect, asking questions, building a relationship, and inviting them from chair number one to move to chair number two. What can we learn as a church that's 100 years old that is part of a church that is over 2,000 years old now. Build relationships with those who don't know Jesus. That's the key. That's how churches grow, through relationships. Be prepared to share the story of faith in Jesus and his faithfulness. And look for ways to meet human needs. Peter and John were used by God to do a miraculous thing. God wants to continue to use us too to meet the needs of people. You'll have that opportunity here coming up pretty quick. The Christmas store is coming, and you're going, it's only September. Yeah, well, I was at the task force meeting on Wednesday, and there was a presentation on the Christmas store, a wonderful opportunity to meet legitimate human needs in the name of Christ through a local organization, and it's, well, it's a well-oiled machine. I know many of you have participated in that, so that's coming down the road. Let me close with a story real quickly of an individual I was thinking of as I was preparing this this week. His name is Gary. Gary, when I started in ministry back in 1987, um, Gary worked at a local filling station part-time. He was a senior in high school, football star, and he also was dating a girl in our church, a girl in our youth group. Gary would come at times and sit in chair number one. Why? Because his girlfriend, soon to be his fiance and eventually his wife, asked him to come. So he'd come, and he'd sit, and he'd listen. But I knew that she was praying for him and others were praying for him because Gary definitely did not know Jesus. So time passes and his fiance graduates from high school and then they come to me and they want to get married. And I'm thinking, great, this guy doesn't know Jesus, she does, what do I do? You know. Well, in our first counseling session, and I still do this today, the first thing we talk about is your relationship to Jesus. Tell me about that. Because the best marriages are based on Christ. Those are the best. Because God works in each of those hearts to make them into what he wants. And Anyway, this is not a lesson on marriage. So, Gary's in chair number one. And we're sitting, talking about marriage and so forth. And so I pulled out a little booklet similar to what we have here. And I went through it real quickly. 
And I said, Gary, have you ever heard this before? Basically, how to know Jesus. And he goes, no. And I said, well, would, would you like to trust Jesus? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so right there in our first counseling session, I had the privilege of leading Gary to Jesus. And he moved from chair one to chair two. And then eventually our ministry ended there, but Gary stayed involved. And I can't begin to tell you the story of all that happened in that church and community. But Gary moved from this chair to this chair in my very presence. And over time, moved to chair number three and chair number four. And it's just been a story of God's miraculous work in a young man who was invited to sit in chair number one and heard the gospel. And I just happened to come along and have the privilege of seeing him come to know Jesus. That's how the church grows. That's the only way the church grows. It's through people like us who know Jesus, who build relationships with people who don't know Jesus, and then invite them to sit in chair number one in some form or fashion, Awana, Kitty College, you name it, and hear about Jesus. And then we pray like crazy that they'll move to chair number two, but don't get stuck there. No baby Christians. We want them to grow up into maturity and move to those chairs. That's what next Saturday is going to be about. So if you're thinking, wow, I'd like to learn more, well, come on over, let us know by Wednesday, bring $10, and you're good to go. Let me invite the worship team to come forward as we sing our closing song this morning. Channels only. God's channel for reaching the world is sitting all around you. God's channels for building up his church is filling your shoes. God's channel for building his kingdom and reaching people for his kingdom and filling places like this or other churches just like it are all around us. But remember, always remember, prayer without action is vain repetition. Let's not do that. Let's leave here as followers of Christ committed to all of these chairs and see God work as only he can. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time you've blessed us with this morning, for the time of worship, a time of growth, a time of challenge, a time of learning from your early church. Were they perfect? No, no more than we are. But they served a perfect God as we do. And you modeled for them what it means to make disciples. You left that mold, Lord, and they fulfilled that very well. May we follow in their footsteps so that we might pe see people go from chair one to chair four and bear the fruit of eternal salvation through the lives of others, serving you and building your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.